The church started in the house of Ken and Barbara Smith. So the joke is our church started in a Ken and Barbie house. So where did the, where did the church start? Ken and Barbie house. man named Ken, woman named Barbara, started a prayer meeting in their house. As the prayer meeting grew, somebody said, hey, we need to be a church. Ken and Barbara Smith said, can we ask our pastor that we had when we lived in Irving, Olin Griffin at Shady Grove Church of Grand Prairie, can we ask him to come and speak to us about becoming a church, what it would take? So at the end of 90, he came and spoke to the group. And in January of 91, they started having Sunday morning meetings. When he spoke to the group, he agreed to help them get off the ground by looking for a pastor for them. And he would send everybody in his church that speaks in front of people until one of them feels called. So my wife and I were part of Shady Grove Church where he was the pastor, and we worked in children's ministry and some in youth ministry. And so we came here the second weekend, I think, or third weekend of January for a Friday night, and then we came back for a Sunday morning. And this was in a house on Hidden Valley in Western Hills Harbor. It's still there. The house is like an A-frame with a wing on it. The restroom and the laundry room and the bedrooms are on the wing, But the A-frame part is just a giant room that is a living room and a kitchen with a dining area in between. So ideal place for starting a church. Uh, Windows on each end of the A-frame, the windows were in the shape of a cross, kind of the framed out. So it's like you're worshiping between two crosses. And so it was a very special Sunday morning with this group. And so while we're worshiping, I just really am enjoying the service. And so I got on my knees. I wasn't looking for a place to be a pastor because I had tried it before and it didn't work. Started a church and we closed. That was painful, so I never wanted to try it. But I was willing to be a help anywhere I could. That's why we were helping in children's ministry. The Lord just impressed on me, we need to get to know these people. And so in the weeks that followed, they continued to have a different speaker come in every weekend and minister to them and nobody was feeling called to be the pastor. And so over the next few weeks, every time I would see my pastor, I would ask about the group in Granbury. How's it going? Well, one week I asked him one too many times. He says, can you be at my house tomorrow morning at 5 a.m.? I said, sure. He didn't know I worked second shift. So after about three hours sleep, I was at his house, 5 a.m. And we got in the car and he drove, thank the Lord. And we went to the Waffle House in Benbrook. And he met with four or five of the men that was part of the nucleus of what this church was going to be. The men in the church basically met with them, those that were able to. And so he had a meeting and just, you know, tried to encourage them. And then on the way back home, he recruited me to come back that night with my wife and have children's church every Wednesday night. So we began to come down every Wednesday night and have children's church. And as the seasons changed and it got dark earlier, I learned to drive with the dome light on so our children could do their homework. We did that for nine months. During that nine months, it became obvious that they needed to have oversight over the Sunday morning meeting. 
Because here's what was happening. They were meeting on Sundays. Eventually, they moved out of the house and into an art gallery and then out of the art gallery into Western Hills Harbor, which is still there on Mustang 377. And they were next to that nightclub. It's still there. I think it was called Chances back then. Take your chances or go to church, you know. <laughs> it began to be obvious that they needed oversight over the church service because there was nobody officially in charge. There was just a handful of people leading worship and then the guest speaker. So the guest speaker didn't have authority to deal with anything in the church that needed some leadership. An example, there was a man in the church named Frank who was mad at the world. Frank liked to sit in the middle of the cluster of chairs. If he didn't like what the speaker had to say, he would just turn his chair around and look out the back window. It's a storefront, so that's the front coming in. The stage is here, so people facing the stage. And just imagine you being up in front and somebody in the middle of the crowd turns their chair around. It's very disruptive. They had a couple prophecies that were off the wall. Apparently, somebody prophesied one Sunday, chewed everybody out for not worshiping long enough. Why, says the Lord, don't you worship me for an hour? And they just got done singing for an hour. So it's like either God's time isn't our time, well, we know that's true, or his watch was slow or something. (laughs) So I went to my pastor. I says, they need oversight in the Sunday morning service. Things like this are happening. What do you think? He says, yeah, till they find their pastor, let's do that. So I started coming on Sunday, and the first thing I did was witness Frank doing what he did. And I was horrified. Oh, my goodness. Now, to the nucleus of people that knew him, it was normal. But to visitors, they'd see that, and they'd never come back. So the first thing I did was I prayed. You know, after that Sunday, I said, Lord, Frank wants to move to Mississippi. (laughs) But nobody will buy his house. I am begging you, God, help Frank sell his house. Because I don't want to deal with Frank. These people love him. This church is fragile. It's just getting off the ground. And would you please? And he did. That next week, his house sold. Frank was gone. In fact, Frank never came back. So I thought, wow, you know, Lord, something's working. Something's working. And the people getting off-the-wall prophecies, I did meet with them and said, apparently you guys are disgruntled about something. So if you don't mind, let's sit down after each service and see how you feel and we'll minister to you. They agreed to that, but then they never came back. (laughs) So at the end of nine months, I'm getting kind of tired. I mean, we're coming here twice a week, sometimes twice on Wednesday. Come down to meet with somebody for lunch or breakfast or whatever and then go back home and And we're living in Irving, 67 miles away from the meeting place. And we were teaching class Sunday night at Shady Grove. So we're busy. So one Sunday afternoon, we went down to the square where the filling station is. Maybe in the convention bureau at the time. And they had these big rocking chairs out front. We sat there rocking, talking about how nice the town was. And then we prayed. We said, Lord, this is a nice place. But we don't want to come here if it's not you. But if it is you, we're willing. But please, we need something to break here because we're getting tired. The next morning, God is my witness, I woke up and knew we were called to come and serve Granberry. That was the words. Come and serve Granberry as pastor of what was then Shady Grove Church. First thing I did was call my pastor. His words were, well, you certainly know the people. 
That resonated in my heart because of what I felt that first Sunday morning we were with them. So that Wednesday night, that was Monday, Wednesday night, we had a potluck dinner. All the members came, and we didn't have children's church, and we had dinner together, and it was, it was in December, so it was for Christmas. They asked me to bless the meal, and so before blessing the meal, I announced that I woke up one morning and knew we were called to come and serve Granberry as pastor of the new congregation. And they clapped their hands said, yeah, it's about time. And then we had dinner, okay? All right, well, that was nice. Well, after dinner, they blew our minds. We all exchanged cards, and all the cards we got were the cards you buy to give a pastor. So we became pastor without any votes, but with Christmas cards. (laughs) So I can't quit, and they can't just fire me like that. But they could call Pastor Olin, and he could remove me. So we had the best of both worlds. After a few years, we were released to be autonomous. At that time, we were a campus of Shady Grove without the big screen and all that stuff. And then after a few years, they closed all their campuses. But because we were so far away, they just released us to be independent or autonomous. But having the best of both worlds, still having a pastor, still having his oversight, still having the resources they have that we could access if we needed them. And they told us then to change our name. But we didn't until we got here and built this building. And the thought of putting Shady Grove on this building on this hill that has no shade nor grove, being three miles from Shady Grove, my heart just screamed, no! I mean, no! No! So we had a slogan during the building project was a place for the generations. Not knowing that that would be the name that we'd be impressed to call it. And the concept behind the name is God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, us, God of the generations and of course the word generations is all through the scriptures you know his name is to be praised to all generations and his blessings are good to a thousand generations that's our story in a nutshell a little bit about us personally i was raised in a second generation pastor's home and all i ever wanted to be was a pastor i got married my wife is from zimbabwe my parents were missionaries to rhodesia which became zimbabwe so that's a rhodesian and We moved to Texas and went to Bible school, started our family, had two kids, and no place to preach. And I feel called to preach, so I went and made a place. And that said, did God tell us to start a church? No. No. But I said I was going to, so we're going to. So on my own word, we started a church. Two and a half years later, we shut it down and said, I'm never going to try that again. She did, she did. She was a good trooper, did her best to help make it work, but it didn't. And so we visited Shady Grove because we were looking for churches to recommend our people to go to because we had like 20-some people, 30 people maybe. You all need to find churches, you know. So we visited Shady Grove and thought, yeah, this would be a good place for people to come. We're going to recommend it. The next weekend, we were impressed to go back. And what had happened was we had our little church. We eventually became non-denominational, and we joined a network based out of Church on the Rock in Rockwall. So we contacted Church on the Rock about closing our church, and we had all this equipment, chairs, PA, instruments, stuff like that. 
Do you know where this could pass on? Because our 501c3 said this stuff must be given to another 501. They said, oh, it's interesting that you called. We are starting a church at Cedar Creek Lake, and we're looking for stuff right now. And so they came in after we closed our church and hauled my dream away and invited us to go join that group and help it get going. So I thought, okay, that's cool. So the next weekend, I'm looking at the map, planning on how to go to Cedar Creek Lake area, Kemp, Gun Barrel City, Payne's Point, from our house, and I'm just feeling grieved inside. I prayed, and the Lord just impressed me to visit Shady Grove again. So we sat up on the balcony. It was a very boisterous church. I mean, orchestra, big cymbals. People jump on the stage with tambourines and lead the Jesus cheer. You know, give me a J, J, give me a E, E, you know. Thousand people. It was awesome. In the midst of that, I turned to my wife because I felt the word home just burning in my heart. I says, this feels like home. She said, me too. About that time, the pastor gets up and stops the music, points at us on the back row, and said, you're home. Welcome home. The music started back up again. I've never seen him do it since, and he doesn't even remember doing it since. But God is my witness, it happened. So my next thought was, well, what do these people believe? Well, this church didn't have a two-hour membership class. This church had 42 Sunday nights of membership classes. So I found out what they believed, yeah. That's our story in a nutshell. We joined the church, and I cried the first year. Every time we came to church, I just cried because my pride was smashed and failure and all that stuff with the church closing a couple years later, very involved in children's ministry, and then it led right into where we are now. So, so that's it in a nutshell. This is our ninth location, but this one's ours. And it's paid for. No mortgage. Thank you, Lord. We were in the Seventh-day Adventist church for a year and a half. We were the longest in a place right off the square called Country Love Theater. It was the old First Baptist Church that a bail bondsman had bought and painted red, tried to make it look like a barn. It was not a good-looking place. He boarded up the windows. You know, a lot of churches, when they build a building, they have some strife, some squabbles, because there's so many choices. Man, our people were agreeable to everything. I only had, only had problems with one member, my wife. She said, what do you mean you don't have a budget for decorating? I said, we don't have a budget for decorating. How is that possible? we got to get the building done. We were about 100 people building this big thing. For us, it was just huge. This is our tool. This is our party house. This is our outreach center. This is where a lot happens. But this is not the church. It's just a place, a public building. But there's a unique story behind the place, too. When we were meeting at the Seventh-day Adventist Church on Saturday nights, we would go in and set up for service, put a banner up between the trees, you know, Shady Grove, 10 a.m., and come see us, that kind of deal. So after I got ready, I just went down the road to East Ridge Baptist Church where they were having a guest speaker that I heard about named Chuck Pierce. So I walked in and met Chuck just before the service began, and they had church. And when Chuck got up to speak, he said he came to Granbury the day before down 377 for the first time. He lived in Denton. He said he'd always come down through the country, down 51, through Azel. 
He said, when I came over that hill where you see the city laid out before you, the Granberry community laid out before you, they're breaking the rocks about a couple miles up there. He says, the Lord spoke to me and said he's going to do mighty things in this town. People are going to come here from all over the world. And then he said, then I saw the sign for Shady Grove Church. And he said, the Lord spoke to me that this church will be a liaison between what I'm doing in the Metroplex and what I'm doing in Granbury and what I'm doing in Granbury and what I'm doing in the Metroplex. And I'm sitting there thinking, what sign? (laughs) But I just hit it in my heart. Nine months later, we had saved some money to buy some land. And all we knew was we wanted more than five acres. Because at the time, our mother church, which was on three and a half acres, was going to have to move everything to expand. And Lakeside Baptist Church couldn't expand any more than they were, and their neighbors had their prices so high they couldn't build. So they were going to have to move across the road to build their thing. So I knew I needed more than five acres. So just a mile down the road here, Colwell Banker went in there, and we looked at 10-acre tracks. And the prices were so high, it was discouraging. So I left, got in my car, and I remembered that word. He said, I saw the sign for Shady Grove Church. So I thought, I'm going to go to Crescent and make a U-turn and look for for sale signs between here and there. It had to be somewhere between here and there. I didn't see any for for sale signs until I got to Colwell Banker, and there was one right next door to it. So I went in, you know, hey, it's me again. (laughs) What about this property next to you? How come you didn't show that to us? He said, oh, that's 123 acres. You just wanted like 10 acres, right? I said, yeah. I said, well, would they sell a part of the 123? He said, "Uh, I guess they would. He said, that's how we got here. We bought five acres of their 128 acres. (laughs) So to make a long story short, we bought 17.638 acres for $2,600 an acre in 94. And in 11 months, it was paid for. So I called Chuck Pierce and asked him, have you ever had a vision and not known it? He said, one time, I thought it was real and it wasn't. It was a vision. I said, well, make that twice. So we actually had him come and minister at our church, and we brought him out here, and he paid one of the payments on the land. And he said, yeah, it was out here somewhere. He didn't know. Then we had a well drill, and we had this road cut and all that stuff, and we didn't borrow any money until we could finish everything for $250,000. Then we borrowed that much because that payment would be close to what we were paying in rent. We're renting a building. Figure renting a building is wasting money. Renting money is wasting money, but when you're done with the lease, you got something, right? So we rented money and built this place. And now it's paid for. So that's that's the story.